Thank you for listening to the Ace Jewelers podcast. This is an exclusive audio-only episode of the podcast series The Art of Collecting Wristwatches by Ace Jewelers. In this series, we interview wristwatch collectors all over the world. We want to know what makes them tick. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, Alon. Doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How was your Christmas? Uh, I was great. I was a little bit different from the last couple of years for a, a few reasons, but I think anytime you get to uh, you know, eat some good food and hang out with your family, it's always a good time. Uh, how is everything for you? Uh, great to hear. On my end, everything is good. good. Happy end of the year. Excellent. Awesome year. And I'm happy to have you on the show um, because with a surname like yours, Vaucher, right. it can't be more than awesome in watch relations or relation to the watch industry. Um, but unfortunately, you're not related to the manufacturer Vaucher. But where did I catch in the world, David? So... Um we probably will get into a little bit of uh, kind of where I've been over the course of my life, but uh, I am half French and uh, I'm joining you from just outside uh, Paris. Awesome. So I'm very happy that you made the time at the end of the year to sit down with me for the last episode of season two of uh, the art of collecting wristwatches. And I'm happy to have you on because you are a not only an avid collector, you're extremely passionate. And that passion covers a broad spectrum of facets of the watch industry. So I'm very curious to learn, how did you get into watches, David? Uh, okay, so I think, uh, well, the first thing I'll say, uh, Alon, is you know, thank you very much for, for having me on the show. Um, the audience you know, may discover that we have some more uh, coming in the pipeline together. And uh, I will say that, you know, um, I, so I have been writing a lot about watches and I've had a lot of opinions for a while. And uh, Alon and another one of his colleagues, Rob, uh, are two of the people that just instantly sort of welcomed me and uh, and took me in. And I'm very grateful for that. And so the best thing I can do, hopefully, is uh, provide an insightful show for you and your guests to, to say thank you. But I really do appreciate your time. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some of that passion with you and your listeners today. So to get into the passion for watches, I think I have to split that into two different parts. So when I was very young, I had an interest in watches and the passion came later. So the interest in watches comes from a place where I think a lot of us can relate to, which is that, you know, when you're young and I'm talking, you know, seven, eight years old here, uh, a watch represents uh, adulthood. You know, if you have a watch, then you're an adult in some way. So I have a couple of very specific watches that stick out in my mind from, from the time when I was very young. Uh, first one was uh, a Swatch Diver, uh, which I was given for, I think it was uh, an Easter one year. Uh, my brother got a similar one. Uh, then following that were two Timex Iron Men watches. Uh, so uh, still nothing very fancy, but, you know, it was something I could buy with my pocket money. And again, felt very adult wearing them. And then kind of the pinnacle of that phase of my interest in watches was a, a stainless steel fossil uh, that I bought 
for like a hundred bucks with birthday money when I was 14 or 15. And I really felt, you know, like I'd made it at that point. It was a fossil, you know, big name steel watch for the first time and a hundred bucks. I mean, that's a lot of money when you're a teenager. So I was very proud of that. Uh, but the passion started um, years later. So this was about 2010, mid 2010. And I was working in the oil fields at the time. So I'm a petroleum engineer by background. And uh, on these field jobs, there is a lot of downtime, like a lot of downtime. You could be waiting for hours or days. And uh, at the time, uh, I was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to be as an adult, what I wanted to look like as an adult. And I'd always had an interest in, in fashion, menswear. And so at some point, I'd gotten this idea like, hey, I should get myself a, a nice watch, you know, however you define that or however I defined at the time. And so uh, very naively, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go, you know, check out Amazon, you know, do the Amazon searches. And uh, that's really how it started was just waiting for this job to start cruising down Amazon, which led to my first watch, which then led to my second. And now 12 years later, it's it's basically uh, I, don't, I don't want to say the only thing I think about my spare time, but a good 80 to 90 percent of my spare time goes to, to watches. That's very interesting. So by your choices of initial watch you've got, I have to guess you lived in the U.S. for quite some time. I did. Yes. Because I actually regret the fact that Timex is not as known or gets the respect it deserves in Europe that it should. And most recently, I think they got a bit of street cred by issuing the Snoopy watches, yeah. which I also bought. And the GMT, like, I believe they're the Q series. Yes. Yeah. And on my wish list still, I have the S1. Oh, fantastic watch. Yes. Yeah. Amazing fantastic. design. I think his name is called Gallo. Yeah, Giorgio Gallo. Yeah. 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 Gally. Fantastic yeah. watch. Yeah. So amazing. So that's actually very interesting to hear your journey. And I'm curious to respond to the comment you made that you associate watches with adulthood. Yep. Where did that come from? You know, it's it's tough to say. Um I, maybe it's different now. You know, if I were a child now, just the way things are, like, I don't think there's quite necessarily the segmentation between generations. There might have been before, but I know speaking, you know, personally, um, you know, my dad uh, grew up, yeah, I mean, of kind of simple means, I'll say, and ended up doing quite well for himself. But he had these very specific markers of what success would look like. Um, and I suppose that one thing I always remember him talking about or or wearing uh, was some kind of watch uh, or buying my mother a watch or something like that. And, you know, at the time, I guess also, I don't remember my classmates having a watch because, you know, when you're in school, everything's sort of set for you. You don't need another time. It's like, well, there's the clock on the wall and the bell rings. So class is done and the next bell rings and it starts. So having a watch just was that little extra thing that you could have say like, oh, well, I'm just a little bit more sophisticated than, than you all, my classmates, or I'm a little bit more like my dad by wearing this, uh, by wearing this Timex. And so, um, I, I can't pinpoint anything specifically, but I think it just was uh, this product of being in my environment would, was, was what gave me that idea. No, it's actually very interesting. Cause I, I guess you're right. Cause when I grew up, I started with swatches okay. and G-Shocks before I could even read time, analog or digital. Okay. But um, I guess maybe in the US, it was even a bigger thing than in Europe. 
And I guess that pivotal moments in one's life and especially career were celebrated with a watch, especially, I guess, in the US yeah. with golden Rolexes oh, and yeah. et cetera. And that will so, come up later. Also, that will come up later okay. in our talk. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. I'll shut up. So what is it that attracts you to watches, David? Uh, you know, this is one of those, we're, we're probably going to, and you probably, you know, you probably sort of uh, dance around this question with every guest you have, but like a, a watch is a practical thing, but I think more and more we can agree, like no one really needs a watch, right? So I think it's this delicate balance of sort of trying to rationalize some of it because you can get carried away very quickly in this hobby, but also accepting that, you know, life is not just about being practical. You, there's certain things that make individuals happy and, uh, and, and we should embrace that. And I think I find a lot of that in watches. So when I think of the, the three things that really attract me to watches, uh, one is going to be the design, obviously, uh, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm very much into menswear and kind of different parts of the clothing, uh, hobby and industry. And so I really enjoy the fact that I can change an outfit, uh, depending on how a watch looks. Uh, the other thing I really like is the engineering. Uh, I mean, you know, we take for granted even, even a cheap, uh, you know, Seiko five, for example, like I use cheap in quotes because the fact that someone thought this mechanism up and can build it at scale. And then you have this little machine strapped to your wrist, I think is amazing. Uh, and then that's not even talking about the, the things you find at the higher end, like uses of different materials in the case or, you know, silicon in the movement. I think that's all amazing. And then the final thing I really like about a watch is that um, even though I, I do have sort of my limits on, we'll call it the, the cosplay aspect of watches, uh, I'm not immune to marketing and I love to dream as much as the next guy. So the promise of what you could do with one of these watches strapped to your wrist is really exciting. So I'm actually wearing um, an Omega uh, Seamaster Planet Ocean 600 meter, 39.5 millimeter version. And uh, I haven't gone near a pool and I can't even remember the last time. But the thought that I could, you know, hop on a fishing boat and go on an adventure with it, I think is really um, attractive. You know, maybe a bit childlike, but um, I still love to dream with the watch that I have strapped on my wrist. No, that's amazing. And, and and I love the aspect of childlike because we should never lose our inner child. Absolutely. So you already you already mentioned that design really is important. Yeah. But equally as the engineering. Yes. If we try to drill down on what really makes you thick yeah. about watches. Okay. So is history important, the movement, the complication, the style or narrative? You already mentioned marketing. Mm -hmm. So if we analyze that, David, well, what's the mix for you? So I listened to another episode um, to try and get an idea of the questions. And you had also sent me the list of questions beforehand just so I could kind of gather my thoughts. And this one I think is the trickiest because it comes down to this idea of, again, trying to rationalize the the irrational to an extent. So uh, the first one obviously is, is, you know, do I think I'm going to like how this watch is going to look? And that can obviously vary depending on, you know, where I am in my journey or, you know, kind of where I am in life at the time. So that's kind of the first sort of, um, not irrational. That's kind of the, the first we'll filter, we'll call it. The second thing, uh, and the second sort of guiding principle in my philosophy is that I actually don't care for hype watches at all. And I think, you know, we've talked before and, and I think that comes across, but, I have this sort of aversion to 
going after the things that other people want. And that's not necessarily to be contrarian. I just don't want the stress of that type of buying experience. I just want to be able to kind of like what I like and then and buy it if it comes to that. So I really enjoy finding watches that the market may have like set aside or just didn't care for and and getting a really good deal on that watch. Um, sort of tied to that is I love getting bank for my buck in terms of complications. So another watch that I own is uh, the Omega uh, Aquaterra um, Chronograph 150 meter GMT. It's, it's a horrendously long name, but this thing has like the coaxial movement. Uh, it's 150 meters water resistant. It's got a chronograph on it. It's got a second time zone, like a true GMT. And this was a watch that retailed for something like $11,000. And you can pick it up for just a literal fraction of that uh, online. So I think combining all of those things, which is this sort of irrational uh, love of the design and the places that it might be able to take me with this very rational side in me, which is that, well, this is a lot of money. And so I need to make sure I'm getting my money's worth. Um, that's ultimately what what leads me to to consider a purchasing decision or not. Interesting. So when you collect, do you have a particular focus? Do you just buy new? Do you also have vintage, just vintage, or a theme in your collection? Sure. Um, you know, I think one of the advantages of being in the hobby so long, and it's it's kind of a disadvantage too, because um well, so you know what you like. I, I very much know what I like. And it's a little bit difficult because it makes it hard to let go of anything because everything I bought, I, I really, really like it. And even though it sounds relatively boring, uh, I would say that I'm very generally speaking kind of a, a steel sports watch person. I mean, as much as I do love the idea of a dress watch, I own two. And I'll get into a bit more of that in some of the later questions, but it's not really me. So dive watches, I like field watches, that type of thing. I would say that if we if I had a focus in my collection, I would say that's it. But it's never really a specific focus. So um, the one person that comes to mind when I hear about a focused collection, you know, Tim Masso over at Watchbox, he's been very vocal about wanting to collect a certain slice of JLC, uh, which is great. And I think he's you know maybe changed his his mind from that. And me personally, I would say that I've kind of moved on from any specific focus as well. I sort of buy what I like. Um, at a given time, again, you know, following these criteria of, oh, that complication looks interesting, or this might go really well with the pair of salvage denim I just bought myself. Um, if we go to the question of vintage versus new, it's a little bit more difficult. I, I don't want to take this on a total tangent. I would say that I'm not very into vintage for, for a lot of reasons. Um, I think just to keep things simple, primarily, we'll, we'll go back to this engineering sort of preference I have where I want to get the most hot rotted and capable version of something that I can. And that tends to come from the newer models. But I think when we start talking about uh, neo vintage, which is call it, you know, within the last 20 years, uh, watches that are very, very well built compared to when they, to what they might've been in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and then going forward, you know, what we're going to consider a neo vintage watch in 20, 30 years, I think it becomes very interesting. So I would say that generally speaking, when we, when we look at sort of provenance of my collection, it's going to be either new or uh, very recently uh, secondhand or gray market. Interesting. Um, going from there, you already mentioned some awesome pieces in your collection. Would you mind sharing some of the watches in your collection and why you got them 
Sure. Why you will never let go of them. Absolutely. Um, so I've got two specific ones. And then the third one is sort of a, a general family of watches. So the first uh, watch, which I will never give up, is uh, my father's. So he has, I mentioned that we would hear, we'd hear about kind of the, the company gold watches. Well, I have a two-tone date that I inherited from him. Uh, he worked in oil and gas for a Northfield services company called Schlumberger. And um, I don't know if they still do this, but at the time when he celebrated his 20 years, uh, he was able to choose uh, a watch from, from their catalog. And um, the reason that I like it, obviously it's, you know, it's my father's, but the interesting story around it, if we wanted to generalize a bit, is that uh, I spent a lot of time growing up in Houston and Houston obviously has a lot of oil and gas. And a lot of people in oil and gas have a very similar watch, which is this two-tone, uh, most of the time on a Jubilee. It happens my dad's is on a on an Oyster bracelet. But uh, it's a two-tone champagne dial Jubilee Datejust. And we call that the Texas Timex because it is so prevalent uh, in Texas. So it's fun for me to have a piece of that. Uh, and it's also, and this is probably another topic that maybe we'll explore, you know, sometime down the line, but I know two-tone is not very popular amongst buyers nowadays, but I have zero uh, hesitance when it comes to two-tone because it's just something I, I grew up with. I mean, when I think of a Rolex watch, I think of a two-tone Rolex Datejust. And uh, so that's- Can what, I Yeah, can I jump in there? It's, it's very cool that you addressed this. So um, two-tone is very much in vogue again. Okay. And you had this a major wave of two-tone in the 80s, yep. also in Europe. Why is it that you call it a Texas Timex? Um, is it because people want a gold watch? Okay. They couldn't afford it, so they wanted a uh, splash of gold? Okay. Or is it really the love of two-tone? Today, yeah. two-tone is a fashion okay. because we're all about mashing up. It's okay. like stacking jewelry. It's layering necklaces. It's a tutti frutti of colors going yep. around. Yep. Um, it's a mishmash of everything. Today we have two tone of ceramic with steel, right? Yeah. Black and steel. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't need to be steel and gold per se. Sure. So why do you call it a Texas Timex? Is it because people wanted the day dating gold and couldn't afford it? That's interesting. Um, so okay, you, you will see some day dates. I mean, you definitely will see those as well. Uh, and it's hard for me to kind of get in the mind of like I'll just say Schlumberger in this case as to why they bought it. Um, I think maybe that's, I think let's just stick with that. I mean, I think if you look at a steel watch, maybe that was viewed as not being particularly special, uh, but the gold watch was too expensive. So they said, okay, we'll settle on two tone. Uh, but one thing I will add with respect to this watch, and maybe this has to do with, with the answer is that the, the Rolex date that I inherited from my father is not from when he celebrated this work anniversary. It's actually celebrate. It actually is dated from, when he started at the company. So I am not sure if they have a stock of watches that they just draw down. Uh, but the watch that he has is not from the early 2000s. It's actually from 1982, um, which is interesting. So it's like a very specific to what you were saying. Like this is the 80s, the height of the two-tone boom and uh, looks great as it's a amazing. result. And uh, it's amazing. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's a really neat watch. And I think just... Last thing I'll say before I move on to the next one is that I said I wasn't really big into vintage, but this particular watch I had serviced after I inherited it and it passed the waterproofness test. So, you know, say what you want about Rolex watches, but these things are well built and um, they will they will outlast the wear for sure. So I was I was really happy to um, to, to hear that from the watchmaker. 
the amazing. Do you, sorry, no, no, just ahead, to jump ahead. in, was it still a plexi or one of the first sapphire? No, it was versions? sapphire. No, it was, it was one of the yeah, sapphire, yeah. first sapphire ones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. That explains a lot about the waterproof. Yeah. But you you won't hear anybody complaining about the quality of Rolex on on whatever show I'm on. Yeah. Um, please do continue. So the the next watch is uh, from a brand that I know you've heard of because I brought it up with you. I don't know how many people in your audience will have heard of it, but it's called a uh, Picquigny. And so Piquigny is a French brand. Uh, they were started in the 70s, I believe. Uh, but for a long time, we're just doing, you know, I, I don't like the term fashion watches, you know, that that has been made clear in, in another piece that was just published recently. But I think just to make it easy, let's call it either fashion watches, or we'll just call it mainstream watches. Um, but in the early 2000s, I think it was maybe early 2010s, the company decided to go up market and, and go uh, with again, what we'll call in-house movements, not entirely correct, but they decided to go very a market and kind of do things more in-house than they were doing before. And I remember reading about them. I was on a trip to France and I saw them in a newspaper spread and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard about them. It's a French watchmaking company. These look like they're really good value for money. So let me keep my eye on them. Uh, but it's very difficult because the company just does not advertise very much outside of the US or, or outside of France, I'm sorry, and certainly not in the US. So fast forward to 2016, uh, I'm on vacation with my my now wife, but then girlfriend, and we've been seeing each other for a while. And she was definitely like, hey, you know, where's this going? What's what's going on here? And I remember one evening we walked past the jewelry store uh, near the Place Vendôme and they had Pekinier watches in the window. And so I was like, hey, can we go check those out the next morning? But I'm also thinking like, okay, we're in Paris. You know, she's getting a little bit antsy as to where we're going. I know this place sells engagement rings and my wife is going to be really upset if I just go there to look at watches. So I said, hey, I want to go look at watches, but let's go look for some some engagement rings as well. And uh, we ended up buying an engagement ring kind of on the spot. So I got engaged to my wife. And interestingly enough, I wanted to buy this watch, but it was just a little too much at the time. So the gentleman that was running the store said, well, I'll order it for you. And when you're ready, you can just, uh, you know, give me a call. And I'll give you a price and, and uh, you know, let's see if we make something happen. So about five months later, I did that. I bought the exact watch that he'd ordered for me. It was a, a Piquinier Rue Royale with um, power reserve, big date, moon phase complications. It's a really nice looking watch. And uh, to this day, my wife, whenever I say, hey, I'm thinking of buying a watch, she's like, okay, go ahead. You know, if you want to do it, do it. And, uh, She's very, she, no, she's she's very supportive in that way. Yeah, because you conditioned because, her. Every watch is a right, jewel, exactly. And, and I think, <laughs> and I think I have to. I, I tell myself that we got engaged over a watch, and so she now is very supportive of my hobby, which I think is uh, is really nice of her. To, that's that's an amazing that. story. So yeah, you're a gentleman. You're a very you're a you're a retailer's a jeweler's dream. Ah, um, so yeah. so that's amazing. And and actually, our hardcore. Friends and customers that is no picking it very well because we Excellent. we used to retail it in the nineties both the jewels oh, and wow. the watches. Okay, okay. Go it ahead. isn't a fashion. It isn't a fashion brand because yeah. they didn't create any fashion. They just created nice watches and jewels. Yep. And we even after they went bankrupt, we sold the 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 Rue Royale that you oh, own okay. as well. Very good. Okay. Oh so, yeah, awesome brand. Um, David, what is your grail watch, or do you have several maybe on your grail list? Yes. So I said before we recorded this, I was going to surprise you. And I think I'm going to throw you some curveballs here. Um, so it definitely, 
uh, comes down to how you define Grail. I know some people define Grail watch as the exit watch, which is if I could just get this, I'll never buy a watch again. Uh, that's not realistic for me. I, I will be buying watches until you know the day I'm, I'm no longer here. So I'm going to define a Grail watch as something where if I just didn't have to worry about money, you know, what would I go ahead and buy? And so I've got three here on my list for you. Uh, the first one is the uh, Vacheron uh, Constantin, the Everest Dual Time, the titanium watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I have said, or I said earlier, I don't really care for hype watches, but uh, that one's fantastic. If I could somehow get my hands on one, I'd be a very so happy. wait the, that that's an overseas. Then. Yes, that's right. The overseas, yeah, yeah. The, the dual time yeah, okay. overseas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. okay, uh, awesome. The second one is um, any uh, Lu Chopard dress watch. Mm-hmm. I think this is such an overlooked brand. I think they have a little bit more of a fashion, or not fashion, but a little bit more of um, a contemporary design style than something like, say, a Patek or a Vacheron. Uh, and again, just fantastic value for money. The third one, this is probably going to be the most surprising, is the uh, Gégère Lecoutre uh, Extreme Lab 2. Is this something you've heard of or come across before? Of course, of course. Okay. So for those that haven't, it's basically what would happen if JLC decided to be uh, Richard Mill. It's just the Swiss Army knife of watches, uh, crazy over the top, but it really does look amazing. And it's a testament to JLC. They can do anything. They can do dress watches, dive watches super technical watches. Uh, so if I had a spare 40,000 bucks, I think it would be the JLC Extreme Lab 2 on my wrist. Awesome. You know, you threw me a curveball in the sense that you're very modest. I read a lot of Gribble of Forcey in your essays. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of put my money okay. on a Gribble of Forcey in, in your grill list. So you're very modest. Awesome three picks. Um, not the, the, the standard uh, watches. So very cool. Going from daydreaming to reality, do you already know what your next watch is going to be? And do you even have a wish list slash wrist list? And do you even have a strategy when you buy watches? So it's super interesting you mentioned Timex at first because I thought this was going to be one of the other curveballs, but I am very interested in the uh, new Timex Expedition North. So this was introduced as a collaboration with... um, a knife company called the James brand a couple months ago. I think they made something like 350 examples and uh, it sold out and I had no interest in paying a markup for it, but I was very happy about a month ago when I found out that they were going to serialize this. Uh, it's a slightly different looking watch than what that collab came out looking like, but I actually like it better. Uh, and it costs, I think 350 euros, but this thing, uh, you know, titanium case, very well loomed, Sapphire on the front, on the back, 200 meters waterproof. It's just a great value for money. I mean, that's something where if someone asked me, hey, I'm looking to get a first, you know, nice watch that I can do stuff with, get that. I mean, you'd have nothing to be ashamed about. I think if you showed up to a a red bar or a watch meetup with that on, I think you would definitely get people interested because it's got everything that a, a good quote unquote watch should have. For not a lot of money. So it would be uh, Timex Expedition North is more than likely the next one on my list. And as far as a strategy, you know, I don't have too much of a long-term strategy. And actually, ever since I got this particular Omega on my wrist, I realized that it would be very difficult to uh, make the marginal cost of a new watch worth the marginal benefit, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm totally Mm -hmm. fine playing in kind of the couple hundred dollars sandbox because i just think you can have a lot of fun in that space but then when you start getting to 
more than what I have my wrist now. I'm just like, I don't know. What's the point? And if I wanted to, I have to sell something else to make it worth it. And I just don't want to do that. So I think, you know, going back to one of my earlier comments, you know, my strategy now is just enjoy what I have as much as possible. Uh, try not to get in and out of things um, if I can avoid it, right? If I'm just happy with what I have, but also not, you know, not uh, disallow myself to have some fun if something like the Timex comes along and I can get amazing bang for buck for, for not a lot of money. Interesting. Do you have a favorite brand? Oh, Omega, clearly. Uh, it's not, you know, on one hand, it's not a very original choice. I, I totally get that. But I think that the reason I like them comes from the fact that they are so well-known and well-capitalized. I mean, I talked about really liking the engineering aspect of watches, really liking the design aspect of watches, the marketing as well. And when you take a step back, uh, you know, that's Omega. They do the the coax. They, they, they actually, you know, adopted the concept of the coaxial movement when no one else really wanted. A lot of people took a pass on it. So I think that shows genuine risk-taking on their part. And I think they should be applauded for that. Uh, I think today they are, you could probably make a case that Rolex is there as well. But I think from a serialized point of view, I think Rolex is the most sophisticated manufacturer of mechanical movements uh, on the planet, which is great. I think they use, you know, very um, tech forward materials. You know, you've got ceramic showing up, you've got titanium showing up. I think from a marketing point of view, I mean, this is the the Moonwatch company. It's the James Bond company, right? So I think if you line up all the things that I like about watches and try and put those onto a company, you end up with uh, with Omega. And actually, in terms of number of watches in my collection, it's Omega outnumbers everything else by by far. Awesome. Is there a second close? A sec- close second one? Sorry. No, I would say uh, again, going. It's it's difficult. If you go by numbers of watches, it's probably Seiko. Just because I think going back to the bank for buck, I think it's it's very hard to top Seiko. Uh, if you looked at uh, dollars spent, it's it's Tudor. I mean, I think Tudor, you you avoid some of the nonsense that Rolex is going through right now, but you still get some of that Rolex pedigree, and uh, you can just get some phenomenal watches for what I think are very fair prices compared to the competition. Interesting. And if you need to put a percentage between ratio versus emotion so passion versus reason yeah what is it for you oh it's tough because uh, again i think if, if we're strictly speaking about this i think it's 100 percent passion but uh, i think i've gotten better as i've gotten older and sort of figured out what my preferences are i think let's go ahead and call it uh 60 40 in terms of uh passion and realism realism in the sense that um it's always gonna be a passionate i mean you have to be passionate to spend hours talking about the things we talk about but I think I've also gotten pretty good at kind of knowing what I'm comfortable spending, what I'm comfortable spending it on, and then, you know, uh, the types of watches I like. So let's go 60-40 on the, uh, the the passion rational rational split. Awesome. Last question. Do you have a final tip for somebody who's new to the art of collecting Ooh, wristwatches? Uh, this was a, a really interesting question to think about. And there's actually several tips, but I think grouped under the same family. So I think the first one is um, buy for yourself. Absolutely don't let yourself get swayed by what other people like, because ultimately you're the one that has to wear the watch and you're the one spending the money. So I know that it's a very different landscape now to find out about watches than it was when I did in 2010. Uh, But try and go the level under what you might see on Instagram. So if you see a watch on Instagram that keeps popping up, you ask yourself, okay, what is it about that watch that I like? Is it the size? Is it the dial? 
and see if you can find something a little bit off the beaten path from that, because you might save some money and ultimately just makes you a more interesting collector um, because you're, you're, you're going off that beaten path. Kind of related to that is don't let yourself have any preconceived notions. And I'm, I was guilty of this when I started, I was like, Oh, quartz, I don't like that. Or, you know, uh, I don't like this brand because someone else told me I shouldn't like it. And as I've grown older and more comfortable in my own skin, now I'm just like, no, I'm going to look at whatever I like. And so I think that if you can um, take a look at anything that comes your way and at least consider it, that's not to say you have to love everything or that you will love everything, but rather than going along with what someone says in the comments, like, oh, it's too big or, oh, it's too thick or I wish it didn't have a date, you know, just ask yourself, like, why are they saying that? And do I agree with it? And if not, that's totally fine. You know, if you like a watch with a date and someone else doesn't, that's fine because, you know, you're the one wearing the watch and not them. So I would say just be comfortable in in looking at what you like, you know, be comfortable in the choices that you make and just trust that, you know, if you go to a meetup, if you do end up taking it to the next level, if it's a meetup worth going to, and I'm almost certain that it will be, uh, the person or persons that you show your watch to. Uh, we'll be just as excited to talk about that with you as someone else's, their AP or their 5711. I think watches can be exciting for any number of reasons. Uh, it's up to you to find out what those reasons are. And if you're comfortable with them, uh, then that's when you'll start to have the most fun in the hobby. That's a great advice. And I'm quite sure you're more than happy to answer anybody's question when it's related to watchmaking. Absolutely. So you can... I'm not even going to ask you if you're willing, because I know you are. So you can reach David either on Instagram at D-A Vaucher, which spells D-A-V-A-U-C-H-E-R, or, and I highly recommend to to visit his website and read his articles at davidvaucher.com. So that's D-A-V-I-D-V-A-U-C-H-E-R.com. David, rests me to... Thank you so much for sharing your journey. It is actually very interesting to hear and wishing you a happy new year. And I'm quite confident we will not only hear from you more in 2023, but to see you in person as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again for the opportunity, Elon. I really hope your audience uh, enjoys this show and uh, looking forward to doing some more things with you in the new year as well. Appreciate it. Take care, buddy. Thanks so much. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Art of Collecting Wristwatches by Ace Jewelers. This is the end of the podcast. Um, If you want to listen to more episodes, go to anchor.fm slash acejewelers. And don't forget to rate our series with five stars. Thank you and have a good one.